Thank you, Murray. Thank you. Praise team, Polly, beautiful singing today. If you have your Bible, hope you've brought that with you. I want to ask you, go ahead and get that out right now. Turn it to Philippians chapter 1. I think you know where we're going to be. We're going to be here for a while. We're working our way through this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian believers many years ago. And so as you're turning there, let me tell you a quick story. It's a true story. Uh, in 2005, a man by the name of Aaron Ralston, he wrote an a autobiography book. Uh, maybe you've read this book before, a pretty famous book, but it's called a, a Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I don't know if you've read that book before, Between a Rock and a Hard Place. I know that title may seem like a cute uh, sort of catchy phrase that we oftentimes use today, but for Aaron Ralston, it took on a whole nother meaning because in 2003, that's exactly where he found himself. You see, Aaron was an experienced hiker. He was an experienced outdoor enthusiast, and in his book, he talks about a near-death encounter he had while hiking the remote canyon lands of, of Utah where an 800-pound boulder unexpectedly fell on him right around here behind his wrist and it had pinned his, his hand and his wrist to the canyon floor as a result. So alone, uh, unable to move, this was the time before there were cell phones, at least easily accessible cell phones, Aaron quickly realized the severity of his situation because he could not move this boulder. It was far too heavy. He was realizing he he had no uh, means of food or water. And on day six, day six of being stuck here underneath, pinned to this boulder, he realizes that he has an unimaginable decision to make. Option number one for Aaron would be just to admit defeat. Uh, to shrivel up and, and die underneath this boulder, maybe being found by someone, maybe not being found. Or, option number two, he could take matters into his own hands and do something that, while excruciating, very well might save his life. Well, desperate, Aaron chose the latter option, which meant instead of trying to, to move the boulder with his arm, he actually took out his dull pocket knife and he amputated the part of his arm that was pinned to that boulder. Now listen, I'll spare you the details of all of that that followed, but, but after much grit, after much determination, after much courage, Aaron was able to, to free his arm from this boulder. Uh, he was able to, to make a makeshift uh, tourniquet to prevent himself from bleeding out, and he actually amazingly hikes seven miles out of this canyon that he is, and he finds this couple, and the couple basically take him to a chopper where he makes a full recovery. Now that's an amazing story, right? But listen, I don't tell you that because it's amazing, and I don't tell you that to try to gross you out or try to convince you to never go on a hike uh, with, a pole, with a dull pocket knife, though that would not be a good thing to do. Always bring a sharp one. No, I tell you, I tell you this story this morning. Listen to this, because it teaches us a very important principle that we're going to find, I think, in this text that we're about to read. It's a very important principle about the human race, and that is this. Humans will do remarkable things in order to live. Just think about that. Humans will do remarkable things in order to live. For example, we will spend money on the best doctors if that means we can live. We can, well, we'll take up disciplined eating habits if that means we can live longer. We'll, we'll spend time exercising on the trail or, or working out in the gym if that means we can live a, a full life. We'll even do things like cutting off our own body parts if that means we can live. 
You see, all of us want to live. All of us want to prosper. But there is a bigger question that we must answer first, and that is this. What do you live for? What do you live for? We all want to live, but what are you living for? In other words, we don't know how long we do have on this earth, but one thing that we can decide, each one of us, is how we're going to live it. What are we going to live for? What are we going to serve? And the question that I want you to consider in your own life today is, what is that for you? I mean, what is that? What is it that you live for? See, as we come to this next section of Paul's letter in Philippians, what we're going to see him do is he's going to tell us about a life worth living and a death worth dying. Listen, we'll, we'll spend some more time looking at this verse at the tail end of our time today, but, but just go ahead and look at verse 21 because it sums it all up for us. This is a, a summation of what Paul's going to say here. And he says in verse 21, you, you'll know this passage, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I know for many of you, This is probably one of your favorite scriptures. It's one of the most quoted scriptures in the entire New Testament. And for good reason, because this verse tells us what living and dying should be about. And that is Christ. Living is about serving Christ and and dying is about being with Christ. And for Paul, that was the philosophy he lived by, which is exactly why. Look at those first two words he uses. He says, for me. For me, as in for me, Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But you see, all of us must make our own decisions in life, right? And so may I ask you, may I ask you, how would you honestly fill in these two blanks I want to put on the screen for you? Can you put on those two blanks for me real quick? How would you fill in these two blanks? For me, living is, you fill in the blank. For for me, dying is... You fill in the blank. Now listen, I, I want you to think about that for a moment. I want you to be, be honest in whatever answer that you would put up here that would represent your own life. But I will be also be honest in saying that oftentimes that first blank at least gets filled in with cheap substitutes like money. For me, living is, is money or, or, or sexual pleasure or power or, or beauty. And the, and the list can just go on and on and on and on, right? But notice that second blank we got to fill in that, that, that second blank. And notice, too, it's connected to whatever we put in that first one, right? In other words, if you were to say, for me, living is money, then based upon this logic in this passage, you would have to fill in that second blank by saying, and dying is being broke, because I can't take that money with me when I'm dead. Or how about this example? Let's say you put, for me, living is sexual pleasure. Then you would conclude by saying, and dying is having no more pleasure. Right? Or, or what about if you said, for me, living is having power, then the, the second blank would be, and dying is being powerless. Or if you put, for me, living is beauty, then you must then say, then dying is losing all beauty and rotting away. You see, in this life that we've been given, you and I must decide what we will live for, which also means we must decide what we are willing to die for. And as I mentioned to you earlier, you don't want to live merely for things like money or, or sex or, or power or, or beauty because while those things aren't inherently bad, they're fleeting. Ultimately, they're going to fade away when this life as we know it ends. 
No, instead, you want to spend your life, listen to this, you want to spend your life on something that not only matters now, not only matters today or the rest of your life, you want to spend your life on something that's going to matter a billion years from now, even after you're long dead and gone, and that should lead you to one conclusion and one conclusion alone. It should lead you to Christ. For me to to live is Christ. To die is gain. You see, if you say, for me to live is Christ, and you you can confidently turn around and say, to die is gain because living for Christ, it, it gives you an eternal purpose and, and value while you walk here on this earth. But it also takes the sting out of death because through Christ, we can confidently know that when that time comes for us, we will be with him and the father in heaven forevermore. And that is a reason to rejoice. You see, up to this point in Paul's letter, Paul's been telling the Philippian believers about his present situations. Uh, They hadn't seen or heard from Paul in quite some time. There's, again, this very affectionate friendship that Paul has shown us already that he has with these people. And so you can imagine the Philippian believers in this first chapter, they're very very concerned. Uh, They're anxious. They're certainly uh, upset probably when they hear that Paul has been put in prison uh, or been in prison in Rome. But notice, not one time in this letter have we read that Paul is telling the Philippian believers to to contact the officials and the leaders and to get him out of jail. No, instead, Paul has spent much of this first chapter comforting the Philippians. Uh, And basically what he's been telling them is, is, listen, don't worry about me. I'm in jail, but, but don't worry about me for a couple of different reasons. Number one, don't worry about me because I've realized that in my sufferings I can actually advance this gospel. I can actually share it with the guards and the officials, uh, and I can embolden others to do the same. Number two, I've realized that though there are envious evangelists who are slandering my name and slandering things about me, I also know that they're still preaching Christ in their own ministry. And then number three, he's going to give us another reason, which is where we're going to spend our time today, and that is that Paul realizes that whether he lives or dies in this jail cell or somewhere down the road, he realizes that Christ will be exalted. And again, this gospel focus and realization is what brings Paul so much joy. Okay, so with all that in mind, let's look at our text, and then we'll spend the rest of our time breaking it down. But let's see how Paul just continues to go into this greeting and to remind the Philippian believers to not worry about him. And in this case, that, that Jesus will be um, exalted. Okay, so let's start by picking up where we left last time. Verse 18 is kind of a strange verse. There's two different thoughts going on in the same verse. So we're actually going to start at the tail end of verse 18, because that's where he sort of begins here. Okay, so at the, at the end of 18b, uh, Paul says, Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, because I know that this will lead to my salvation through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And if I live in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I, I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Since I am uh, persuaded of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that because of my coming to you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus may abound. Now listen, I I, I just love what Paul's doing in here, because again, he's kind of being a pastor, 
Uh, he's trying to, to, to comfort his friends before he launches into his exhortations, into his encouragements. That's going to begin in verse 27. It's going to, uh, he's going to spend the rest of his time doing those things, but he spends these first couple of verses in, in chapter 1 comforting the Philippians. But what I love so much about these particular verses that we just read is that they actually kind of offer us uh, a glimpse inside the mind of Paul to kind of see how he ticks. They, they really show us two main things, I believe. We're going to spend actually the next two weeks talking about these two things. But, but number one, number one, these verses are going to show us Paul's ambition. Paul's ambition in, in wanting to honor Christ in his life. And then number two, what we're going to see next week is that these verses actually show us Paul's vision uh, in wanting to be with Christ. You see, it, it, was, it was these two things that, that motivated Paul, that, that drove Paul to be one of the great heroes of the faith. And what I want us to do today is to spend some time talking again just about that very first one. We'll get to the other one next week so that we might apply it to our own lives and live this life that's worth living for just as Paul did. All right, so let's jump right in this morning. Okay, let's jump right in. Let's talk about this first main point, which is a Christian's Ambition. The Christian's ambition is, is honoring Christ. In other words, let me just let me say it like this. How can we as Christians live a life that not only shows others that we believe in Him, but how can we live a life that, that honors Christ and how we choose to live it? Well, based on this passage, Paul's going to show us how we can do just that in three main ways. Number one is he's going to show us that the first way we can do this is by rejoicing in Christ consistently. Rejoicing in Christ consistently. If you want to have this ambition like Paul did, if you want to honor Christ, then you must first start by rejoicing in Christ consistently. Well, let's go back to verse 18 for a moment. Let me show you this. Okay? Because you see, in, in verse 18, Paul concluded the previous section of Scripture, the, the Scripture that we looked at last week, uh, with the words of saying, in this, okay, that being his difficult circumstances, I rejoice. That's what he says in the middle part of verse 18. But, but notice what he says right after that part in verse 18. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. See that on the screen? Okay, the first part is it's just a conclusion of what he's already said. I'm going to rejoice in these difficult circumstances. But then he, he takes it a step farther and says, I'm not just going to rejoice now. I'm actually going to rejoice in the future. Okay, Paul's plans for the future include rejoicing in Christ, no matter what's going to come his way. In other words, Paul is confident and joyful despite his situation because he realizes that his sufferings, they're not going to drown out his joy. And so in life, in suffering, yes, even in death, what Paul is saying here is that he will always choose to rejoice. Let me just stop us right here for a moment. And let me ask you to consider a question in your own life. And that says, what are your plans for the future? What are, your, what are your plans for the future? Are you one of those that likes to plan? I like to plan. I like to plan out my future. My wife, if I can pick on her a little bit, she likes to plan out. We got a five-year plan for our life, a 10-year plan for our life, a 20-year plan for our life. Love you, babe. Maybe for others of you, maybe you're young, you have absolutely no idea. You'd say, I, I don't even know uh, what my plans are going to be. No idea. But listen, the point that I'm trying to make, what Paul's trying to make here is that as Christians, your future plans, whatever they are, whatever they bring, whether they're good things or bad things, should be to rejoice in the Lord always. You see, rejoicing in the Lord, uh, listen, especially, listen to this, especially 
in your suffering, it greatly honors Christ. You, you rejoice in what you value, right? So, so when you choose to rejoice, even when things aren't going your way, uh, even when those plans maybe aren't working out the way you thought they should, it, it shows other people that your treasure really isn't found in other things or anything that this world can bring, but that it's actually from another world. In other words, when your circumstances, listen to this, take a turn for the worst, or, or your plans, they, they seem to fall apart. As a Christian, you should still be able to sing. Your circumstances, they, 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 sh- they shouldn't be your treasure. Uh, your plans, your goals, while not bad, should not be your, your treasure. No, Christ should be your treasure. And in this, in this, you rejoice. In this, you find your true joy. Listen, I, I love the scriptures. I love looking at them at, at parallel passages. I don't know if this is quite necessarily a parallel passage, but it reminded me of one of my very uh, most just loved passages of all of scripture that kind of talks about this idea of, of what this should look like, rejoicing, regardless of what life may bring, is actually found in Habakkuk. I know we, we, uh, we went through the book of Habakkuk, one of my favorite books of the Bible. But in Habakkuk 3, verses 17 through 20, Habakkuk says something that's just always stuck with me, especially in, in days like this. And just to jog your memory real quick, Habakkuk is, is, a, is a difficult book. It's a raw book. The people of God. Uh, are experiencing some very difficult things. The future kind of seems uncertain and bleak, but listen to what Habakkuk says in these verses. I think it'll help us understand what Paul's also trying to say. He says in verse 17, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines, and though the olive crop fails, and the, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stalls. In other words, nothing is going according to plan. All my plans are failing, yet, look at 18, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Isn't that beautiful? And a great reminder that we should always trust the Lord. We should always rejoice in Him consistently. Well, in a very similar way, that is what Paul is saying right here. The prospect of his trial, it drove him to prayer, not to despair. And so again, may I just ask you, what are your trials causing you to do? Those trials that you're going through right now or that you've been through or that you will go through, what are they causing you to do? Are they causing you to, to pray or pout? Or are they causing you to, to praise or protest? Friends, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus in our difficulties. Let us have a Habakkuk-like, Paul-like joy. And let us praise Christ always. Praise Him always. But not only should we honor Christ in this way by, by rejoicing in Him consistently, Paul's going to go on and give us another reason as to how we can have this ambition he has to honor Christ. And that is number two. He shows us that we should rely upon Christ completely. By relying upon Christ completely. Look, look at what he says now in verse 19. Paul says, Because I know this will lead to my salvation. Your translation, if you're reading from another translation, may say something along the lines of deliverance. Uh, through your prayers and help from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now listen, this is a really kind of lot going on here, okay? Kind of complicated verse because what Paul is doing is he's actually showing us he's relying upon three different things. 
Let me just show you what those are real quick. Number one, he's relying upon Scripture. And the reason I know that to be true is because Paul is actually directly quoting a passage that is found in Job 13, 16, where Job says this. He says, this will result in my salvation or again, my deliverance, implying that he understood that in his sufferings, they were not from God's punishment. Okay, and so like Paul, Paul fully believed that God would one day deliver him both from his uh, physical afflictions, but also from the false accusations that these people were making about him. And that's part of what Paul's getting at here when he says, I know this will lead to my salvation because he believed in the power and the sovereignty of God, even in his sufferings, even in his shortcomings. Listen, there's more than, than Paul just trusting in God's sovereignty here. This verse also shows us he's relying upon two more things in addition to that. Number, number two is, is the prayer of the Philippians. And then number three, the spirit of Jesus Christ. These two right here, they go hand in hand because God uses means to deliver and save His people. And yes, some of those means are the Spirit of God that that lives in us, that comforts us, that gives us peace. But another mean that He also uses is the people of God praying for other believers. That's exactly what Paul is saying is part of his source of, of strength and joy and comfort in this time is due to the fact that he knows that other believers are praying for him right now as he speaks these words. Church, the application for us here is this. Don't think your prayers don't matter because they do. Your, your prayers matter. God uses yours, your prayers in his power, in his sovereignty, and he quite literally uses them to to lift others up, to encourage others just as he did for Paul. And so through this, through the meditation of the scriptures, through the spirit of God that, that lives in us, you can rely upon Christ completely, even when your future seems uncertain, even when your plans aren't working out the way you do, or even when times just seem bleak. Okay, so again, Paul's ambition is to honor Christ, Right? No matter what type of circumstance, he's shown us that we can do this so far in two main ways. Number one, by rejoicing in Christ completely. Number two, by relying on Christ completely. And then number three, by representing Christ courageously. This is the last way that he shows us that we can have this type of ambition that he had. Look at how he sums all of this up for us, beginning in verse 20. Paul says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, there's a couple of things that I want to point out to you here in each one of these verses. First, let's focus on this first verse in verse 20. Paul is stating that his expectation, his hope, is to represent Christ well, whether he lives or dies. And please notice the language and the wording that Paul uses here because this is not the type of hope that we oftentimes use or say when we say things like, I hope it rains tomorrow. Or I I, I hope that Ingemar will win the state championship this year in basketball. No, Paul is 100% confident that he's going to represent Jesus well here because he realizes that through the sufficiency of the Spirit, 
through the prayers of other believers, through the sovereignty of God, he's going to get the strength he needs while being locked up in this prison, as well as the strength he needs if they decide to take his own life. And so what Paul is declaring here is that he will not be ashamed for being held a prisoner, though that was certainly a very shameful thing in those days. Now Paul is convinced that, that God is actually using his imprisonment for gospel purposes. And what that shows us is that he isn't concerned about his own reputation, but about Jesus' reputation. He isn't concerned about people needing to honor him. He's much more concerned about honoring Christ by the way he lived and ultimately by the way he died. As we know, several years after this, he was martyred for his faith. So let me ask you, let me ask you again this morning, do you want to live a life that matters? Do you want to live a life that that matters? Do you want to live a life with an eternal purpose that will be felt long after you are dead and gone on this earth? Listen, if you do, then live a life that is set upon honoring Christ in all of your ways. Live a life that rejoices in Him always. Live a life that relies upon Him completely. Live a life that represents Him courageously, even when you're suffering, even when you're in pain, even when you're unsure of what the future holds, because that is a life that honors Christ. That is a life that honors and glorifies God. And that, my friend, is a life worth living. It's a life worth living. Church, this theme of courage is sprinkled all throughout this first chapter in the book of Philippians. For example, in verse 14, Paul challenged us to to speak the word fearlessly. In verse 20, he he challenges us to to not be ashamed of our Christian faith, of our identity. Later on in verse 28, he's going to say uh, that we shouldn't be frightened by those who are against us or who are hostile towards us and the Christian faith. But perhaps the most notable verse... And all this book, and really all maybe the New Testament, again, is found in verse 21. I know we looked at it briefly earlier, but let's close by looking at it again. Look at what Paul says so famously. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain. See, what made Paul so courageous, what made him so joyful, even in the midst of darkness, was that he realized that by putting Jesus At the center of his life, he would always be in a position to receive God's favor, to receive God's grace. You see, for Paul, living, even while being in prison, was enjoyable for him. I'm not going to say that he didn't enjoy getting whipped or having all these sores, but in general, he enjoyed it because he realized that he could still serve Christ. He realized that he could still share Christ, empower other people to go and do this thing. And then on the flip side, dying for Paul wasn't seen as a negative thing, as it's so often seen for people like us today. It was actually something that Paul embraced. In some ways, not that he wanted to die immediately, though there is this tension here, it was something that he was looking forward to. He was thinking about his own death because he realized that when that time came, whether it was today or down the road, he was going to be with Christ face to face. And that was far better than living for Paul. See, it was this win-win mentality. That's, that's, if you want to know what made Paul so unstoppable, if you want to know why preachers always talk about Paul, and it's like, that's all we talk about is Paul and why he's such a great Christian, it's because he has this win-win mentality. That's what made him unstoppable 
even in whatever circumstance he finds us in. Let, let me just kind of show you this. Okay, let's just pretend for a moment. Okay, and let's say that Paul's having a conversation with a Roman jailer or a Roman guard, and the Roman guard's really mad at Paul for obvious reasons for, for not worshiping their gods. The guard might say, hey, hey, Paul, hey, Paul, we don't like you. We don't, we don't like your Messiah, so, so we're going to kill you. Paul would say, that'd be great. Because for me, dying is gain. So bring it on, jailer, right? Bring it on, guard. Uh, I'd imagine that probably would throw him for a loop, not what he was expecting. Oh, are you kidding me? So then maybe let's say he says this. Well, on second thought, uh, we're actually going we're, we're gonna to let you live, Paul. Well, Paul would say, well, fantastic. Living for me, it's, it's fruitful ministry. I can actually honor Christ in that way, so let's do it. Right? Clearly, at his wit's end now, I would imagine, the guard would say, well, listen, we're going to let you live, uh, but we're going to make you suffer. We're going to make you pay for all these wrongs you've committed. Well, Paul would respond by saying, I consider these sufferings in this present world not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. I would joyfully be glad to represent Christ even in my pains. Church, do you see the power of this mentality, of this perspective on life? Kill me, and I'll be with Christ. Let me live, and I'll serve Christ. Make me suffer, and I'm going to find joy even in that and be rewarded one day by Christ. You see, it is through honoring Christ that Paul finds his motive, his drive, his ambition, and it is through Christ that he finds his value in life, his meaning in life, his purpose in life, which is always to point others to him and to make his name known. And so as we close our time out today, let me just ask you one last time, one last time, what is it that you are living for? All of us are living, but what are we living for? What is that for you? Again, if you had to fill in those two blanks that we had up early on the screen, what would they say? What what would they reveal about what you value, what you worship in life? For example, would they say, for me, living is power? Would would they say, for me, living is, is wealth or fame or family? or sports, or pleasure, or possessions. Listen, again, those things aren't inherently bad. That's not what I'm saying. If you steward those things the way God wants you to, then those things aren't bad. But if those things are your sole motivation of life, if those things are your sole desire in life and and your ambition in life, then when you die, they will fade away. When that leads me to ask, is that really a life worth living for? When they're all just going to fade away at the very end. Is that worth living for? But you see, when we say what Paul says here, for, for me, to live is Christ. You can confidently turn around and say, and to die is gain. To die is gain because when your motivation, when your desire, your ambition in life is to honor Christ, you're going to find true, lasting joy. You're going to find fulfillment. That's quite literally why you were created By the way, so you're going to find fulfillment in that, I think. And listen, when those final moments come, I don't know when it'll be for you, but when you find yourself on that bed in that hospital, realizing that you only have a few short breaths left, you will not have to fear death. You won't have to fear death anymore. You can embrace death and you can say, and even in my death, I'm going to gain. I'm going to be rewarded 
for the life that I've lived. I'm going to be rewarded for the life that I've chose to honor Christ, to put him in the center. I'm going to be with him and the Father in heaven forevermore. And even in death, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Let's pray.